Hello, in this week's UN Catch-Up, the Sahel attack on civilians that's prompted a protection call from the UN Refugee Agency, the latest on the Myanmar crisis and help for child victims of the insurgency in northern Mozambique. Also, we're finding out why we should all be concerned about the container ship that's been making waves in the Suez Canal. Thanks for listening. First, the news. Disturbing reports of targeted attacks against civilians have emerged from the northern Mozambique town of Palma, marking a serious escalation of violence and volatility in the Cabo Delgado region. Issuing the alert, UN agencies reported that dozens of people had been killed during attacks by unnamed insurgents who reportedly descended on the town at the weekend. Families had fled, seeking refuge in the surrounding bush, UN humanitarians said on Tuesday, while more than 100 displaced people had travelled south by boat from Palma to Pemba, capital of resource-rich Cabo Delgado province. Since conflict erupted there in October 2017, 670,000 people have been forced to flee violence. More than half are children, explained Marixi Mercado, spokesperson for UN Children's Fund, UNICEF. We are expecting more children. And again, as I said, there were already 350,000 children displaced in Cabo Delgado. That's an extraordinary large number of children who are displaced right now, and they are in desperate need of help, all of them. In addition to continuing insecurity in Mozambique's north, the aid response has also been hampered by a severe lack of funding, with the $254 million appeal only 1% funded. The United Nations Human Rights Office, OHCHR, has called on Myanmar's neighbours to offer shelter to all those fleeing violence and persecution amid ongoing strife following the 1st of February coup. The appeal on Thursday comes as the Myanmar crisis enters its third month, with additional concerns raised about renewed fighting between state-armed forces and ethnic armed groups in border areas, which have driven people to flee. The UN Rights Office said that at least 510 peaceful protesters had been killed by security forces and more than 2,600 are in detention, including many held incommunicado or forcibly disappeared. Night raids, mass arrests and killings have become daily occurrences throughout the country, OHCHR's Southeast Asia Regional Office said in a news release. Ten days after armed groups carried out a deadly attack on three villages near the western Niger town of Tilia, the UN refugee agency UNHCR has repeated its call for greater protection of civilians and all those displaced by violence in the Sahel. UNHCR reported on Thursday that six refugees from nearby Mali were among the 137 people who were killed on the 21st of March by assailants on motorbikes. Most of the victims had already fled violence in 2020, UNHCR said, adding that 1,400 survivors from the targeted villages are now on the move and many are in shock and mourning. Highlighting the vulnerability of civilians in the region and the urgency of their situation, Gillian Twiggs, UNHCR's Assistant High Commissioner for Protection, encouraged efforts to address the growing insecurity, noting that it was clear that the attacks on displaced people and the communities hosting them were targeted and deliberate. In addition to the violence meted out against civilians, shelters and granaries were also burned to the ground, cattle were stolen or killed. Survivors have nothing left, Ms Triggs said in a statement. Niger, Burkina Faso and Mali in the Sahel are at the centre of one of the world's fastest growing displacement and protection crises. The region now hosts nearly three million refugees and people displaced inside their own country. 
This is UN Catch-Up, Dateline Geneva, with me, Daniel Johnson. Now to this week's interview, which is on a very big topic. It doesn't get much bigger than the supersized container ship, the Ever Given, that's been reflated in the Suez Canal, but only after running aground and causing a monumental traffic jam for more than five days. To find out why this might affect us, and particularly any online orders that we're expecting, here's shipping expert Jan Hoffman, Chief of Trade Logistics Service in the United Nations Conference on Trade and development, UNCTAD. I spoke to him shortly after the vessel was set afloat once again. The latest situation is that the ship is afloat and the very first smaller ships have already started passing by the ever given. So effectively, this is a relief for all of us working on global trade and development. Of course, there's a huge backlog. After almost one week, the ship was stuck, was holding back. And you can see on maps how the ships are waiting in the Mediterranean and south of Suez. So this will take quite some time to have all these ships pass through. And uh, quite a few ships, especially Uh, bigger ships have also started doing a detour already. So there are quite a few ships are now going via the Cape of Good Hope, South Africa. And all this will lead to a decline in arrivals in Europe of ships coming from Asia by about 30% in April. And this will then have to increase again to catch up in coming months. Obviously, it's exactly what the global economy didn't need after a year of the COVID-19 crisis. But does it really, really matter that this huge container ship couldn't get to port? Can we not live without some of the things that are on board? What is on board this ship? Yeah, what is on board of these ships? Let's say for us here in Western Europe, about 20% in total of what we eat and drink and dress comes from east of Suez. A lot of other stuff comes from closer by what we eat and so on. And for some products, that's electronics, office equipment, textiles, this reaches 40 to 50%. So for some of these goods, better be prepared for some delays of your online orders. So that is really one of the first main impacts. There are delays. The second impact is that the price, the cost of moving these goods to get them to us will increase further. Freight rates had already gone through the roof compared to the average of the last decades in response to a shortage of ships, containers, resulting from this COVID-19 pandemic. And they had started to go down over the last weeks. And just now, this week, have climbed up again. And what I find interesting is that this new surge in freight rates, it's not just happening on the Asia-Europe road. So it's not only on the route that is now affected by this ship, but because of the shortage of empty containers that is global, there are not enough empty containers available right now. So the boxes held up on ships waiting in Suez or waiting in Los Angeles, by the way, where we have another problem. Nothing to do with the Suez, but there are two big places at this moment where you have ships and containers on those ships who are waiting. And these empty boxes are missed and they have led to higher freight rates in the entire world. The highest surge we have seen actually was on the route from China to South America. This does not go through Suez. This does not pass by Los Angeles. And there are not high waiting times in Santos either. But because you need even more ships and containers on this long route, and there's very little return cargo, these freight rates have 
gone up most. Why are there fewer ships? Is it because they had to return to port during the COVID crisis? No, it's not that there are fewer ships. It's above all the boxes, the container that are missing. So the boxes ended up in the wrong place because there's a shift in the demand supply. So due to COVID, we have a different geography of trade. There's even more trade imbalance due to uh, packages, investment, government expenditure in the US, in Europe. So there's actually more demand for certain goods than before COVID because we no longer spend our money in restaurants, hairdressers, movies and, and services, but we buy stuff and this stuff comes in containers. But then when the crisis started, the containers were somewhere else. They take longer these days to get back onto the ship because there are difficulties in the ports. Dock workers are tested positive. So it takes longer to get the empty boxes back. Now there's even more imbalance, especially between China and the US, huh? like up to 80% of empty containers that go from the United States to China are empty. They come full and 80% go back empty. And finally, there are the emissions. There's the greenhouse gas, CO2 emissions. If ships now go a longer way, depends how you calculate which route you take, but that's 25 to 50% more ton miles. So it's longer, it's more emissions. And it's not only the additional distance, it is also that the ships now go faster to catch up. And you know, when you and I drive a car, we go faster, it emits even more, not just per hour, but also per kilometer. No? So that was Jan Hoffman from UNCTAD. That's the UN body that helps uh, least developed countries and others to boost their trade and development prospects. Solange, if I could turn to you quickly, very nice to have you on board again. What did Jan's comments there make you think about the state of world trade and whether it really is something that um, we should be hugely worried about? I think if Don Quixote could see the ship blocked in the Suez Canal due to its enormity, 400 meters, he would think he's facing a giant and without any doubt would try to fight him. Anyone who has read or pretend to have read Ulysses dreams of sea, of distance loves. The ever given container ship does not carry lovers, but merchandise. And to the best of my knowledge, there's no vaccines there. And here I would like to highlight a question you asked Jan Hoffman, Chief of Trade Logistics Service in the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, UNCTAD. Can't we live without the things that are on the ship? It's been over a year since the shops are closed. There are no cinemas, no hairdressers, no services, and people have rushed to buy what they need online. According to Jan Hoffman, 20% of what we eat, drink, and wear comes from east of Switzerland. 80% of trade comes from the sea. The impact for trade is as gigantic as the ship itself. Higher freight costs, delays, and an increase in greenhouse gas emissions from the additional miles and faster speeds needed to catch up. In the words of Proust, in search of lost time. As Jan Hoffman told journalists on Tuesday at a UN Geneva briefing, this kind of ship was built in Japan. The parent company is in the United States. The operator is in Taiwan. The flag Panamanian, the crew Indian, and so on. In a way, this ship is a monster, a Frankenstein created from various nationalities, 
But beyond the romanticism, we have to remember that today every problem has an international dimension and expect multilateral solutions. What we need to do is decide if we want life to go to the way it was before COVID or if we can make the extraordinary changes that are needed to make sure no one is left behind when we build back after the pandemic. Thanks, Solange. What a learned literary conclusion to this week's UN Catch-Up. Don Quixote, Shelley and Proust. I suppose if we can't travel, at least we still have books to transport us far away. And as you mentioned vaccines, Solange, let me just give you the latest from the World Health Organization's COVID-19 online dashboard. It tells us globally there have been around 128 million confirmed cases of new coronavirus, including more than 2.7 million deaths reported to the WHO. And as of the beginning of this week, when we had latest data from the World Health Organization, more than 520 million vaccine doses have been administered. So with that, it just remains for me to thank you listeners for following the UN's work. Solange, for your comments as ever. Justine Bryce too, who I'm afraid we never get to hear, but I can assure you listeners, she's working hard to knock this podcast into shape for social media and for posting online. So thanks to her too. Catch you next week, everyone. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye for now.